before we read our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 5, uh, I want to talk to our young ones. Uh, if I could have your attention, young ones, I'm going to tell you what this passage is going to be about, what this sermon is going to be about, uh, and, and really, old ones, you need to listen up to, uh, because I'm, a, I'm about to throw all of you under the bus. I'm going to throw myself into the bus. And so as an offer of uh, peace, good faith, I'll start by throwing one of my children under the bus. Okay? Uh, so this is about six summers ago. This is a while ago. Uh, maybe, oh, no, it's so many more now. Uh, how long is this? I've, I've told you all this story before, but you just, I, I've got to tell you again because this is just the best way I can illustrate this. Uh, this is when Peyton was just four years old. He's not four anymore. Now he's 14. Ten years ago. Oh, okay, so so 10 years ago, Peyton's four, and we're out to dinner. And we're at this restaurant where, like, they're just, you know, they're families, and they're kids, and it's relaxed, and so kids are running all over the place. And we're trying to keep an eye on Peyton. He's four years old. And we notice that at one point, he goes over to this table of, they've got no kids. It's just, like, six adults enjoying their night out, sans kids. And, uh, and he goes over, and he grabs one of their drinks, and he just takes a sip puts it down, and goes on about his business. And we're like, Peyton, don't, you don't do that. And then literally within a, a few moments later, he comes back to the table. Maybe he heard them say something. He comes back, and to these two dads that are sitting next to each other, puts his hand behind their heads, and he pushes. He just pushes these two guys in the back of the head. And I jump up, and I run over, like, Peyton, no, what are you, Peyton? No, no, that was very rude. That's, that's mean. We be nice to people. We, you know, you say hello. You do not push. We don't push. And then later, as we get into the car, I ask Peyton, Peyton, why did you push those dads? And he thought about it. And he said, because my heart just wants to beat somebody up. <laughs> I says, oh, my God. Here's what, kids, young ones, here's what we're going to learn from the Bible today. Here's what we're going to learn in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There is sin and there is anger in every one of our hearts. And, all, and I'm telling you this, like, I think kids, I think y'all are the best. I think y'all are such awesome kids. And you've got anger in your heart. And you've got sin in your heart. I think Peyton truly is. If you know Peyton, he's maybe one of the kindest, most thoughtful people ever. He has had sin and anger in his heart always. Uh, and so there, there is, uh, even after we believe in Jesus and he saves us, what, what we're going to hear Jesus tell us today, even in Christians, is that we've got anger in our hearts that wants to do bad stuff. And one way to try to be better is just to learn rules and just do our hardest and be really, really good and just control our anger and control our anger. That is going to make you angrier. By ourselves, we are not going to be able to do anything about our anger. Not really. Here is the way we can change. Uh, we run to Jesus. We run to Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, died for our anger, who died taking all of our sin, including all of our anger on himself, and not just our anger, not just dying for our anger and our sin. He's taking God's wrath and God's just anger for our anger. He's taking that on himself in order to heal us, in order to save us from the anger and the sin that is in our hearts. And so here's what I want to tell kids. Here's what I want to tell you. Like this stuff that's in your heart, even if you don't know that, that it's there, this, this stuff of sin and this stuff of anger of, I don't feel like my life is going the way it's supposed to, that can be anger at God. And it's okay to go to God with that anger. It's okay to go to him and say, 
I, I just, I don't know. I'm mad. I'm upset. I'm angry. And, and forgive me. And he does in Jesus. And even if it feels like I can't do anything with this, like I just feel like I'm angry all the time. The promise is Jesus is at work in your life. You wouldn't even feel that way about your anger unless Jesus was at work in your life. And he will continue to be at work in your life. What you need to do with that sin, with that anger, is go to the one who has died for you and who is at work in you right now. Run to Jesus. That's what Jesus is going to tell us this morning as we jump back into our series in the Gospel of Matthew, focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's this sermon by Jesus early on in his ministry. It's not his first sermon. He's been going around, but this is uh, early, early on in his ministry as he is going around introducing the new covenant. And here's the amazing thing that we saw at the beginning, that Jesus doesn't start with a list of commandments. He, start, he introduces the new covenant starting with the blessings, that he blesses his people right now, and he will bless them with heavenly glory, eternal glory to come. Then after that, Jesus tells uh, that his blessed people, here's, their, here's your purpose in the world as the church, go make disciples by gathering people to Jesus, by gathering people to the church for this message of salvation. And then Jesus tells, uh, before he get, he starts to tell these, he starts to finally give these commandments of like, hey, what are we supposed to do? Before he does that though, he gets to his, uh, uh, he gets to this point where he explains that all of this is possible. The new covenant, Jesus can make this new covenant with his people because he fulfills the old covenant between God and Israel. And then now he begins to give us commands of how we are to live in the church, in the world. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Um, okay, our previous passage, which we didn't read, but it gives us the necessary boundaries uh, to understand what Jesus is saying now and what he's not saying. And so at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the last passage uh, that we did last Sunday, Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He did not come to abolish the Old Testament, so he's not dismissing the Old Testament here. Uh, so what that means is Jesus is not adding some correction to the Old Testament law here, as if the new covenant, sorry, the new covenant and the old covenant, it's not as if the new covenant and old covenant had different standards of holiness. No, God has one standard of holiness, perfection. But there is a contrast between the new covenant and the old covenant. And he is contrasting his new covenant with the old covenant, which will become clearer as we go along in the Sermon on the Mount. But you just need to know that, that that's a spoiler, and, and we will see that in the weeks to come. And 
And in the verse right before this passage, so again, setting the boundaries for what Jesus is saying and not saying, before this passage, Jesus said to the crowd that the Christian's righteousness, it must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So on the one hand, Jesus is contrasting his new covenant with his old covenant, and he's contrasting the new covenant with the misunderstanding of the Pharisees and the scribes' understanding of the old covenant. Okay, so when he says, you have heard it said, what, what does that refer to? Like, you have heard it said. Who, who said. who said what? That is the Old Testament law. And then he says, but I say to you, okay, that's Jesus uh, and his authority as the Lord and mediator of a new order, a new covenant. So Jesus, what is it? Jesus does not quote misunderstandings in the law. Okay, he quotes the Old Testament. He is quoting Mosaic law here. He quotes the law Moses got on Mount Sinai. When he says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, don't commit adultery. Uh, you, he says this, he's inferring this, you shall swear oaths, eye for eye. That stuff is all commanded in the Old Testament. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but if you skip down to the end of chapter 5 in this uh, Sermon on the Mount, he'll say, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That is not a misquote. That's in the Old Testament. You've got to remember Israel's conquest of, of Canaan, Deuteronomy 20. Israel is told to show no mercy to any Canaanites, but to wipe them out completely. Remember those Psalms, Psalms of David, that say, David says, I hate your enemies that hate you. And spoiler, again, spoiler, that's the contrast between Old Covenant and New Covenant that is going to become very clear in the conditions of the Old Covenant theocracy and the New Covenant church. Okay, but, but here, from, from those actual quotes of Old Testament law, Jesus is, he is going to contradict the misinterpretation and the misapplication of the law by the scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus is contradicting the Pharisees here and how they've gotten so much of the Old Testament wrong. And Jesus is correcting their bad, false teaching. One last super-duper important contextual qualifier here for understanding what Jesus is, is and is not saying is hyperbole. Hyperbole. Jesus is using hyperbole here. And one New Testament scholar said it very well. Calling something a hyperbole is not an excuse to ignore what it says. The exaggeration is used precisely to force us to grapple with the radicalness of what it says. So, Jesus says, you've heard the Old Testament law, do not murder or you'll be liable to judgment. That's right. In the Old Testament, if you murdered someone, you would be brought forth before the court, before the court of the king, before the court of the elders. If you were found guilty you were put to death. Jesus says, right, yes, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother, that is, when he says brother, he's talking about fellow Christian, you know, other people in the church. Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and this is where the Pharisees got it wrong. Take it from a former Pharisee, Paul. So uh, imagine, imagine yourself way back in the day. You know, imagine you're there and you're listening to Moses rattle off the Ten Commandments, and you're nodding your head as you go along. You're like, not a murderer, 
check. Okay, good. Not an adulterer. Check. Not a thief. Great. Check, check, check. Feeling pretty blameless right now under the law. Feeling pretty good. And then last but not least, no coveting. And as you go, I mean, ask someone who knows you, ask, do it right now. Ask, the, ask someone who knows you really, really well, am I the most content person you know? Ask yourself this, is there any part of your life, any one part, single part of your life that you are totally content with? This is where Paul says the law is meant to awaken Israel to sin. Do not covet okay, that discontentment in me, that's sin? That's God's standard? Well, that's in me. So I don't measure up. But the Pharisees were believing and they were teaching, I haven't murdered anyone, so I am law-abiding. And therefore, they were law-relying, as if they could stand before God. Jesus says that misses the point that that was there all along. You cannot claim to belong to God. You cannot stand justly before God, all the while harboring murderous anger in your heart for the people in your life, for your family members, for, for your, your friends, your neighbors. Jesus says that even that little insult that you hurl at a brother is so serious to God that that would in itself be worthy of judgment you would be guilty in the heavenly court, deserving hell. Jesus uses two illustrations to explain what he's saying. And the first, the first is about offering a sacrifice at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem. This is what he says in 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, like leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Here's the, here's the hyperbole. Remember, this is an illustration. He's using hyperbole here to describe how Christians are supposed to treat each other in the church. So these are not like literal one-to-one instructions because we don't have a temple. And Jesus is already out there, already explaining. How, he's just said it. He fulfills the Old Testament, including the temple and the altar and the sacrifices. All of those Old Testament symbols, Jesus has already started to say, those are going away. Now that Jesus, the one to whom all these things points, uh, all these things uh, have pointed to, he's come. We don't have an altar anymore. Uh, so this doesn't make sense outside of, you know, this, this picture of Old Testament Israel. And, and, and even for those who are listening to this, like who are there and listening and hearing it, this is a hyperbole because, like, you got to think about, like, what about out-of-towners that come to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice there at the altar in the temple, like, and you get there and you remember, oh, man, I totally hurt my neighbor. I know, I know I did it. I know I did it. I've got to go reconcile. There's nowhere to leave your lamb. At, like, you can't actually leave it there at the altar, at the temple. They didn't do that. You don't leave your sacrifice there and come back days, weeks later and pick up your lamb again. And they get, it, he's, again, this is hyperbole. What's the point of the hyperbole? It's this, reconciliation between Christians is so important to God, there is no worship without it. So praying, singing, reading your Bible, listening to a sermon, going to church, taking the sacraments, that worship, it doesn't mean anything to God if you have no desire, no desire to treat others in the church well. 
It, has, it means nothing if you have no desire to reconcile with those that you've hurt. It means nothing if, if you don't have any desire to reconcile those you have offended, and you know you've offended them. This does not mean, therefore, well, I can't come to church this Sunday because I've hurt someone and they're away on vacation and I can't reconcile with them before Sunday. Literally, I've heard that before. No, that's not what that's saying. He's saying dealing with our anger and working towards reconciliation with those we have hurt with our anger that should be a priority in our lives. Later, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, he's going to say the same thing. He's going to say it this way. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So there's Paul, just like Jesus, drawing on Old Testament temple imagery to illustrate this same point, that the same way the Jewish people would treat their sacrifices with the utmost care, and they would, you, uh, so you're supposed to treat your daily living with that equal, utmost care because your daily living is an act of worship of God. You know, Jesus goes on. He's, you know, he gives one illustration and then he gives another one right after. Jesus adds another illustration to make his point. So when you get back to back illustrations, you know he's illustrating the same point, which means the illustrations they have the same meaning, which helps us understand the illustrations, which helps us understand Jesus' main point. Jesus uses these illustrations that the audience is familiar with, okay? So Old Testament temple stuff uh, and sacrifices, and second, this other illustration of debtor's prison. You owe a debt, you refuse to pay it, they can put you in prison until you pay it. Okay, so uh, he says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. These verses have been wrongly used to support this idea of purgatory. It's a Roman Catholic invention that there's this place after death where you pay for your sins, and after you've fully paid you will be free. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about what he's just been talking about. In the illustration, you're headed to court. Okay, What court has Jesus just been talking about in just a few verses uh, earlier? He's been talking about the court of heaven and being liable to eternal punishment of hell. The debtor's prison is an illustration of hell. It's hell. And you'll be there until you pay your way out, which you will never pay. Debtor's prison is a picture of hell and judgment. The financial debt that he's talking about in the illustration, it is this reconciliation you owe to other Christians in the church who you have hurt. Your brother that you've offended. It's the same message. If you refuse to practice reconciliation, that, that, you, that you owe an apology, or if you think you can treat others in the church any way you like and get away with it simply because you claim to profess the faith, you will be liable to the court of heaven. The, it, it, Jesus, the one who has no love for his brother, who has no love for his sister in the church, proves you're not a believer in Jesus. Now, and we, we, here we are and we hear this, and we don't normally think of anger as this really big problem for us. You know, we all get angry, but anger, okay, okay, but yeah, I'm not murdering someone. 
You know, anger is not at the top of the list of what's wrong with our society. At the top, it's murder, it's assault, it's stealing, it's lying. And Jesus is pointing out to us, why does he, the list of commandments could go on and on and on and on. He really gives us six. And there's a reason. And the reason he's pointing out anger here, uh, Jesus is pointing out that a really dangerous thing about anger is we don't think it's that dangerous. And I'm just an angry guy. Uh, Now, you may wear your anger on your sleeve or on your face, even when you're resting, girls and guys, and and you're more of just a powder keg, and you just, you got to explode. Someone somewhere at some point wrote this, um, said, if all that we say in a single day with never a word left out were written each night in clear black and white, it would make strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose, before our eyes would close, we have to read the whole record through. Then we wouldn't sigh, and we wouldn't try, uh, and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do. And I more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half what I say in a single day were to be left forever unsaid. And I would add... Our anger can also be, it can also be expressed in the things that are left unsaid. You know, the kind and loving and sometimes convicting things that need to be said out of love and in grace. You may be the kind of person that buries their anger deep, deep down where it's just simmering. And your anger just, it it manifests in passiveness and neglect, ignoring and avoiding people, because people, they're the worst. Now, hear this. Uh, If you rip, if you rip this out of context, no one is going to heaven. We are all bound for hell. It's the one, again, in context of what Jesus has just said, it's the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. It's the one who sees their fallenness and and wants to yet strive for holiness. Jesus is talking to Christians in his church. He's talking about people who, you've got to be the one who has admitted their sin who's become members of the heavenly kingdom by grace through faith in Jesus. And and now that you are a part of his kingdom, these are commands. Now we know what is important to God, what he calls us to, and he actually has changed our hearts to live this way. And you got to hear this too. A few of us were joking last week about this, about how we can hear difficult things in church. You hear something like this and you think, wow, you know who really needs to hear this? person sitting next to me, my spouse, my friend, this other person. And you know what? You're right. It's true. They, because this is the word of God convicting us, but it's supposed to convict you too. Whoever you're thinking about right now, let's just go ahead and get it out. Let's say their name out loud. (laughs) And then we'll say our name. It's just this, like, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. And then this other thing, like one more qualifier, for those of you who are thinking, this is just about me, and if you're feeling particularly sensitive to this, knowing, knowing that you have failed in this area, you have to remember that Jesus is more concerned for your sanctification than you are. 
that conviction that you have, if you are feeling that failure right now, that is Christ at work in you. So don't stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Christ is at work in you, convicting you, and he is at work in you, changing you, even if you don't feel it. And we've got to end with this thing of what, where does the gospel come in with my anger? When you do get angry, it's what we said to the kids. Your anger, whether you realize it or not, it really is angry. It really is anger at God. Because things are not going according to plan. And because you are trying to control the plan. But we are not God, and we are not our own Lord and Saviors. And so that anger it is really wrong, and it really does hurt other people, and it really does hurt yourself. And the question is, is God going, because this is the question you do have, whether you express it out loud or not, the question that we are all going to struggle with today and tomorrow, is God going to get angry back at me? Like, is God angry at me right now? Is God angry at his people? Is he going to withdraw from us? Is he going to just ignore and pass over us? It would be, because then that other thought comes in, he would be right to do it. Like, it would be just. He would be right. Like, I can't blame him for it. And the good news is, no, he doesn't. The Son of God comes to us not in anger. He comes in grace. And we mocked Jesus. We weren't, we, we weren't, with our sin, we have mocked Jesus. We despised Jesus. We rejected Jesus. We beat Jesus. We spit at Jesus. We abandoned Jesus. We nailed him to a cross, and we said, hurry up and die already because I'm angry at you, and I would rather be God, and I'm mad that I'm not. And Jesus takes it all. He takes all of our anger, and he stays on the cross. And God's anger that is just and it is good against us, God pours it out on Jesus. On the cross, Jesus absorbs the just wrath, the just anger of God do our sins, and then Jesus looks and turns to us with gentleness. Even on the cross, he is responding with gentleness. Father, forgive them. And when you see Jesus responding with gentleness to your anger in the gospel, it's going to slow your anger down. It's going to change you. Your religion will be worthless unless it is flowing from this gospel of grace. But if you are fixed on the gospel, it is this thing of you won't help, you won't be able to help but be changed, transformed to love God, to love his people, to go in reconciliation when you have been uh, the offender, to pray for those who have offended us. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise your name uh, because you are just, you are awesome, and you are holy, and you are full of grace towards sinners, and we are those sinners. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this gospel. Thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection. Thank you for his work in us right now, and thank you that he will see it done. Uh, we ask for grace. We ask for grace today to love our brothers and our sisters here, 
to love your church, Father, to love our brothers and sisters across the world, to be about reconciliation, and not for our own glory, but for your own glory. We pray that you would work out these things, the anger in each of our hearts for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.